Why don't we pray? Oh, Lord Jesus, you are so good. And as the song that we just sang said, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, even when at times our own lives and our own things get in the way of seeing how you're working, you always are at work. You're always doing something. You're always pulling, bringing people to yourself. You're always showing your beauty. You are always drawing people to yourself. You are always longing for deeper relationship with us. You are always loving us, even in the times that we don't reciprocate. Even in the times that we choose our own path and our own way, we, we walk away from you. You never walk away from us. And so Jesus, we are grateful for a new day, a new year, to continue to seek after your heart. May we see and experience your heart for us, your heart for community, and your heart for those who are far from you. Not because you're far from them, So, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us profoundly today through your word. Show us, Lord, where we're headed. Guide and direct our steps together. And so, Lord, we are grateful for your life, your death, your resurrection, and your invitation into new life. May we experience it in a new way today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as, as Nelson said, we are starting a new series today called Where Are We Going and How Do We Get There? And we're not singing songs like Cotton Eye Joe like earlier, so that's good. So we're going to spend the first few weeks talking and dreaming and planning and praying. We're going to sing. We're going to have some meditation, some silence some scriptural exploration and dive in together. As, as Nelson has said, we're going to listen for the Holy Spirit to inform us of what is next in our life together. When we hear, we're going to ask God, hey, what's next, God? We're going to listen. We're going to obey what we hear. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like. And at the end of the time together, we're going to dream what we're going to dream together. We're going to see what is God is saying to us and what our next steps are. And so today we are asking the question, where are we going? Where are we going? And we're going to look at understanding what what we have what we have called. And you can put your own city in it. We said Seattle. It may be Portland, it may be 
San Diego, it may be uh, Nashville, it may be Park City, Utah. Um, that's just, you know. Uh, but, so it's a metaphor. And we just decided to use Seattle as a metaphor. As the place where we're headed together. The vision, the destination, if you will. And so before we jump into the scriptures, I will say this. Luke chapter 6 is where we're going. So if you want to start looking up, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. That's where we're going. But we'll get there shortly. So open that up. Put your finger in or... um, have, have your, uh, you know, your phone already open to that. So, let's pretend. Let's pretend that Seattle is your dream destination. You've always longed to go to Seattle. You've always dreamed of um, going to Park Pike Place. Pike Place. Watching them chuck fish. Grabbing a coffee at the very first Starbucks, or not. Um, You've always longed to see the needle. You're a hockey fan, so now you want to go see the Kraken. It's their new professional hockey team. You've dreamed of just going to Seattle all your life. And so now you begin to plan and dream and saying, how can we make this happen? It's like Seattle is like a picture of heaven to you. How do we get there? What do we do? Well, there's, all of you have taken many trips and realized there's a lot of planning. So one thing you have to do is you've got to figure out how you get from here to there. How do you go from Lancaster, Pennsylvania to Seattle, Washington? So you need vehicles. So, here's your, here's your opportunity. What kind of vehicles would you need to get from here to there? Four. You could take a bus. Airplane. Yeah, a plane. A car to the airport. A car to the airport. Yeah, a, a bus. Taxi. An air taxi? Yeah. What's that? Ah, okay. Any other thoughts? Could do Uber. Could do Uber, yeah. You could take a train. Yeah. Feet, yeah. Bikes. Run. Bike. Yeah, so there are a lot of different ways to get there, right? And you would take, and, and a lot of us would take multiple ways. So, like, you know, just being that we literally got home yesterday, we took a shuttle, like a car, to the airport. We took a plane. Uh, we walked in the, from gate to gate. We um, got another plane. We got another shuttle. We got in our car and went home. So we used multiple vehicles to get from Park City to here. 
if you fly, when you get to the airport and you have that ticket on your phone and you scan it, it better say Seattle, right? You get on that plane, it better land at SeaTac. When you get in the car and you're going like, to do this like couple week long trip, you're going to punch in Seattle into the GPS. It's going to get you there. So that whether you're driving or somebody else is driving and you're sleeping, it's not like you go to sleep and go, wait, how in the world are we in New Mexico right now? We, turned a, we took a wrong turn in Albuquerque, you know, as Bugs Bunny would say. And so we, we put in the GPS and we're going to Seattle. We get on to a bus and we give them the ticket. And the, the thing is, we're hoping to end in Seattle bus station. If you have a, a ticket on a train, your ticket should say Seattle and you end up at a train station in Seattle. And so in the next couple of weeks after this week, we're gonna talk about those different vehicles, those metaphors of how do we get from Lancaster, PA to our dream destination of Seattle? What are those vehicles that we are looking at? Because you know, a lot of times, those vehicles aren't the greatest things, right? Like you're, you're using them to get to something better. It's not like somebody said, if the airport became the, the goal, then the airliner, airlines would want you to be in the pub, right? If they were winning with all the planes on the ground, that's not right. They're, the uh, airlines winning is when they are leaving the airport and going to destinations. It's not a good thing if you're sitting at the airport stuck because you're going to somewhere else. And so we're going to talk about the vehicles because they're important, but they're just important to get us to the next, that final destination, our Seattle. And our Seattle, as we have defined before, is this statement, desiring the kingdom of God to become tangible. The rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ called the kingdom of God, touching down in the here and the now, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' prayer in the Lord's prayer. Desiring that we see God's kingdom come in its fullness, landing in our everyday life, in the here and now, and that he gets to, he doesn't have to, but he encourages us. He calls us. He partners with us in this furthering of his kingdom. Does he need us? No. But he chooses to use us to further his kingdom. Have you ever been, have you ever been in a place where the, the Celts used to have this statement. It was called a thin place. A place where it seemed like the line between heaven and earth were so thin that you could just sense God's spirit. We all have places like that, right? We all have thin spaces. Again, my thin space, I spent five days on it, on the mountain in the snow. That, the place where heaven and earth overlap and interlock is the kingdom of God showing up. The place where heaven and earth overlapped and interlocked is predominantly in the person of Jesus. 
If you want to see what the kingdom of God is like, you look at Jesus. I know it sounds like Sunday school, like every answer was Jesus, but in this way, it is true. When we want to see what the kingdom of God looks like in this tangible form where you could touch it, taste it, smell it, it's Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection. All the stories in the Gospels, we see the kingdom becoming tangible in multiple ways. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, 12 to 19. Luke 6, 12 to 19. One of those, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called the disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who would come to him, come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So the first thing we see in verse 12 is that he goes up on the mountain to pray and he spends the night praying to God. What we see highlighted in, in not only in this, but also in Luke is that Jesus' life and mission was based on his connection to his heavenly father. His centrality of prayer in his life he, when he had a huge decision to make, he went up on the mountain to pray, spent all night long praying to God. And so he made that decision, not just off on a whim, not just in a feeling, but in deep prayer with his heavenly father. He had so much to do, so many things on his plate, but he couldn't do it until he prayed all night long. It reminds me of a statement by Martin Luther, who said, I have so much to do that I, have, that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Jesus as part of the Trinity. Jesus as God himself. Jesus, the Son of God, took all night to pray and commune with his Heavenly Father. All night. He needed the wisdom, the direction, the insight, the strength, the passion, and he needed to commune with his father. So he spent all night. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I could barely pray 10 minutes. And that's if I'm doing really well. An author, Mike Breen, puts it this way. He says this. He, meaning Jesus, inhaled his father's presence so that he could exhale his father's will. Let me say that again. I love this statement. 
he inhaled his father's presence so that he could exhale his father's will. For the kingdom of God to become tangible is that we need to be like Jesus in this aspect. We need to inhale the Father's presence. Take a deep breath of the Spirit. Not a, not a quick breath like in exercise, but one of those deep breaths of contentment and wholeness. A deep breath to pull in the Spirit. So that when we go out in the world, we have something to exhale. It's like if you haven't run five miles and you get set to run five miles and you're breathing heavy, man, you've got nothing left at the end to breathe out. Jesus had so much to do. He was running. He was running those miles. But he knew that he had to inhale the Father's presence before he could exhale anything. He had to take it in before he could give it out. And that's Jesus, the Son of God. Last time I checked, none of us are the Son of God. We are children of God, but we are not the Son of God. And so, how much more do we need to inhale the Father's presence? It becomes tangible, the kingdom, is when we engage with our Father in heaven through prayer and solitude, walking in the woods, reading scripture. However you make time and space to connect with our Heavenly Father. That's when the kingdom becomes tangible. That's when you sense it. That's when you taste it. That's when you feel it. It's when you spend time in His presence. And so he prays all night long. And after praying all night long, he does something else. Verse 13. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. Notice, and then calls, then picks 12. Notice that there were more disciples there than just the 12. But he calls 12. He chose, chooses them and designates them as apostles, as sent ones. I, I picture in... I picture it in my mind, I, and it's probably wrong. But think about back to elementary school and how you would play sports. I mean, this is how we would do it in, on recess. You get two ca- captains, and they would choose. Boom, 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 you know. Like I picture Jesus saying, uh, I'll take you, and I'll take you, and I'll take you. And so he calls these 12 to live sent life and fulfill the Abrahamic calling of the people of God, the Israelites, from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 12, to be a blessing to all the nations. I mean, it wasn't 12 because there were only 12 of them. He picked 12 for a particular reason. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And what he's saying now is, you 12 are the new Israel, and I'm going to call you to do the exact same thing that God, my father, called Abraham to, to be a blessing to all the nations. And now that is your calling, to go out and be a blessing. 
But they were called to do it together, not just, hey, you, you go that way, you go that way, you go, come back and tell me what happened. He doesn't do that. In fact, a lot of times, at least two other times, he sends them out together, right? Two by two. Go out two by two. Preaching the kingdom. Healing. Living out the kingdom. To be together. There's another text that says about, like, he called them to be together. To do life together. Because that, they did that not as individuals, but as a community. And so, Jesus, what did he do? He ate with his disciples. He worked with his disciples. He recreated with his disciples. He goofed around with his disciples. I, no, is it in the scriptures that, you know, Jesus told a joke? No. But I guarantee it's somewhere in those three years of life in and life out, like, like totally spent together, there were some funny moments. There were some hard moments. There were some tears. There was some laughter. There was joy. There was pain. There was sorrow. It's life. In fact, it's, somewhere I found that they, someone said that Jesus spent over 50% of his time with just the 12 disciples. A tight-knit community of Jesus and his disciples doing life together is when the kingdom becomes tangible. When we live life together as a tight-knit community of followers of Jesus, the kingdom of God becomes tangible. When we eat together. What did Jesus say? Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup. And, and I don't just mean a little tiny cup. I mean when we eat and we drink together, the kingdom becomes tangible. When we goof around together, when we, re- when we recreate together, when we work with each other, when we live out those 59 biblical one another's. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Love one another. Bear with each other's burdens. That's when the kingdom of God becomes tangible. When we engage in our relationship with other followers of Jesus. But that's not all. It doesn't stop there. Something else is needed. Something else is needed. Well, look at this. Verse 17 to 19. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Jesus never lost sight of his father's will. Because why? He inhaled his father's presence to exhale his father's will. Of mission to reach those who were hurting, the lost, the broken, the least, the world around him. But he didn't do it alone. Did you notice? When he comes off the mountain, what does it say? The disciples went with him. They came down the mountain together to pursue this missional vision Together as a community in the healing and the restoration of the world. I love that last line there in 19. And healing them all. All. I mean, I don't, I don't know the, the Greek word for all, but I would imagine it means all. Right? It's not some, it's not majority, it's all. And they come down together. He 
Jesus is teaching them about serving others. And he wanted them to help him. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. They had a role to play, right? Pass out the bread. Go to the people. Be a part of the reconciliation, the wholeness, the healing, the justice, and the shalom in this broken world. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. But only when we inhale the Father's presence, we do it in community, and we exhale his will individually and communally. The kingdom of God becomes tangible because Jesus touched, healed, restored, reconciled, and brought peace and shalom. When we spend time with others who don't yet know Jesus, when we become the tangible hands and feet of Jesus, when we work for justice, righteousness, mercy, compassion, wholeness, the way things should be, when we do that, the kingdom becomes tangible. On the plane ride out and the plane ride back, they have free movies. I'm scrolling through them. And I was like, I should probably watch something, you know, light comedy or something. And this movie pops up. And I had already seen it. And I'm like, I'm going to watch that. It's called Just Mercy. Hopefully you watched it. If you haven't, you have to. have to watch it. In that movie, the kingdom, I mean, it's not a movie. It's like a true story. It's about the Equal, equal Justice Initiative. The kingdom in that movie is becoming tangible. Because somebody, a follower of Jesus, is caught the missional vision of, his, of the king and his kingdom. And, worked, and walked it out. And so, Jesus lived a life of communion in connection with God the Father. Jesus lived a life of community in connection to people. And Jesus lived a life of commission in connection to a purpose. And so for us, for Veritas, our Seattle of desiring the kingdom of God to become tangible, we get there when we have a life connected to God. When we're in communion with our Heavenly Father. When we have community in connection with other followers of Jesus and we have a life of commission in connection with a missional calling that Jesus gives all his followers. Hugh Halter says this, whenever you see a group of people who are doing these three things, you will always find the kingdom of God. You will always find the kingdom when these three things overlap and interlock. And when that happens, when those three things show up, the kingdom becomes tangible. We end up staring at the space needle. We take a sip of that Pike Place coffee from that first Starbucks. We, smell, we get to smell those huge fish that get thrown. Because to us, Seattle is the kingdom. We are there. We've arrived. We get to see everything we've dreamt about. And so may we journey together towards Seattle. 
May we commune with our Heavenly Father as individuals and as a community. May we live in tight-knit community with each other, and may we live a life of commission individually and corporately. And may, when, and may we, when we live this way, look like Jesus. And may we see the kingdom of God become tangible in our lives, the life of Veritas, and the life of the people we seek to serve, bless, and share the love of Jesus with. And so may we inhale the Father's presence so that we could exhale his will.